Hello, my dear friend, Mike Schreier here. Thank you so very much for taking a listen to today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the types of clients to avoid. So I've been doing this now for 15 years, and I can tell you there have been probably about a half a dozen times in that time frame where, without any exaggeration, the clients I had decided to work with almost bankrupt me. That's not, Again, listen, there's not anything added there for dramatic effect. You have to understand that if you are in the help business, that your clients, so we're talking about coaching clients, consulting clients, we're talking about uh, freelancing clients and uh, any agency clients, you have to understand that the client relationship is a partnership. It is not one above the other, okay? Sometimes early in a career, people think they're below their clients, right? That the client is their boss, that's not true. Later on in their career, they think they're above the clients, that the clients are these little fledgling types and they can take on whoever and they're all powerful. That's not true either. The reality is that clients are partners. They exchange money for the services you provide in the way that you provide them. And what that means is, what that means is that you have to be careful who you partner with because partners in business affect your business. Some of you already know, you don't even have to listen to the rest of this and you realize, oh my gosh, my clients are the reason that my business is stuck. It's a very simple kind of metaphor. Rough clients create rough roads right? Rough clients create rough roads. If you've worked with clients, you know what I'm talking about. Good clients create smooth roads. Which of the two roads can you drive down faster without completely destroying your car? The answer is the smooth road, right? Those of you who are trying to scale quickly, one of the first things you need to fix is who you're working with. You might be working with people, a type of client, who isn't the client partner, that's going to allow you to scale quickly. You might be stuck with rough road clients trying to put the metal down on your car, you know, pedal to the metal, and your car, your car is breaking apart, your business is breaking apart, you're breaking apart, and you're wondering, what's wrong with me? And the reality is, probably nothing. It's probably the clients that you're working with. Some of the effects to look for, if this is a problem right now, is one of them is if you're struggling to get results consistently across the spectrum of the clients that you allow into your offers. Okay. Oftentimes what happens, especially for those who start out with sales teams or they start outsourcing or they're just trying to scale as quickly as possible, they have no real clear standard about who they will take on as a client. And so they have a very broad and wide spectrum of who they work with. And because of that broad and wide spectrum, say, for example, in a coaching program or even just a service, an agency, right? The results are so different that you end up with pockets of high achievers and pockets of very low achievers, and you have disgruntled and angry, and, and it's just, it's a chaotic experience. Now, a lot of people just say, oh, well, you know, it's because uh, some people buy a coaching program and they do it, and some people buy them and they don't do it. And, and there's all sorts of weird mental gymnastics that people in this industry do to uh, ignore the fact that what's really happening is you're selling to the wrong people. And by selling to the wrong people, you've created chaos in your business. You've created the rough road. That rough road then makes it more difficult for you to scale quickly. You can still scale. You can still drive a car really fast on a rough road, but it's not a pleasant experience. And the likelihood of some injury happening to your car is very high. The other thing to consider about this broad range of, you know, some clients getting results, some not getting results, is that people who do the mental gymnastics to justify that are essentially saying that the only reason to work with someone is if they pay you which is absurd. The reason to work with a client is so that the client can become a case study which you can use 
to attract more clients. The reason to work with a client is because they represent a relationship you would like to have in your Rolodex. The reason to work with a client is because they present a challenge to improve your systems. The reason it's so strange to think that some people only see clients as income opportunities. And I'm not talking about ethics. I'm not talking about who's better than who and who can virtue signal the best. What I'm saying is, is if you only view clients as income opportunities, you are shortchanging the opportunity to have a good partner in your business. A good client should be able to produce marketing fodder. A good client should be able to improve your systems. Replace client with what? Partner. A good partner should be able to improve your marketing. A good partner should be able to improve your systems and etc. I would never do business in, in like a real partnership with somebody who just brought a little bit of money. Why would I ever give myself to that relationship? So, one of the things that you have to realize with bad clients is that when you just take bad clients and you only take their money, you're shortchanging yourself from having your clients help you build something long-lasting and meaningful. The other effect of bad client is that your mental fortitude, your belief in yourself, your ability to project in the positive, like so looking down the line, it, it starts taking a beating. Again, and it might, it might just be because you've sold to anybody who will pay you. And so you have people who hate you and you have people who don't like what you've done and et cetera, et cetera. And you're sitting there thinking, I must be a horrible person. And maybe this isn't what I thought it was. And I cannot tell you, don't underestimate how that affects your bottom line. Your confidence and belief in what you do is so critical. It's so critical to the success of your business. And... Letting bad clients affect that means that you are letting bad clients, people who've only paid you a little bit of money, affect your potential livelihood. Certainly to throw you off your groove from whatever goals you might have, but potentially to threaten your livelihood. I mean, let's, let's talk as serious as this is. The next, of course, is just chaos, right? Bad clients create chaos. Chaos equals the rough road. Rough road slows you down. So some... Clients are literally the thing you need to fix in order to scale your business. So let's talk about how to fix those. So the first clients to avoid are time vampires and scope creepers, right? That's pretty, everybody knows these people. They pay a little money, they think they own you, and they totally blow out scope. And then they're the ones who blew out the scope. And then you deliver on the extra scope. And then they still come back and say, this isn't uh, as a well-oiled machine as I thought it was. And they're the ones who blew it out in the first place, right? <laughs> That's These time vampires and scope creepers are a source of major chaos in most companies. Identify them and get them out as quickly as possible. Now, that's easier said than done. And doing spot checks on time vampires and scope creepers is a lag reaction, meaning you can't suss them out or, or, or put it this way. If the, your strategy for dealing with time vampires and scope creepers is to wait until they mess everything up, then you haven't prevented the chaos. So we need to work to prevent the chaos. We need to not wait until the road is all rough. We need to actively, proactively keep the road smooth. So first thing you have to do is get more clarity around your offer. What exactly are the parameters of what you will do specifically? I can't tell you how many times I've purchased an offer where I was told it was one thing and then it turns out it wasn't that at all. So as a business owner, 
Clarity is one of the things you can provide. If you have a sales team, you need to provide that clarity to them. So this can be done with uh, contracts, onboarding materials, sales and marketing, etc. But it starts with you. And there is the problem with a lot of offers right now is that they're very broad. And that is why you have bad clients in your business because you went too broad. So let me give you an example of a broad offer. I will help you to grow your business. Okay, what does that mean? What does that even mean? That means the room for interpretation from potential prospects is so wide and broad, it is not manageable. Right? That's an extreme version. Another version might be, I will help you to lose weight. I will fix your relationship. What does that mean? You are opening yourself up for somebody to come in with an idea they have for themselves, which they will never communicate with you because human beings are really bad at communicating. Uh, they're bad at expressing themselves. Many people are suppressed. They never learn how to communicate. That's just the human condition. It might be a Western thing. I don't know. Uh, I've been to other countries that are even more suppressed and et cetera. So I think it might just be a human, human trait that might be exacerbated by culture. But the reality is, if you are out there shining your light, right, your messaging says, I'm a big, broad, open offer, you can't be surprised if people interpret that in a different way than you expected they would interpret it. So clarity, 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 clarity. Number two, to create stronger contracts, including... This is a big one I had to learn. Oh, I, my stomach still churns to this day. Stronger contracts with clear ways for you to get out of the contract based off of behaviors, actions, etc. that time vampires and scope creepers create. There is nothing wrong with you having a contract that says, if you don't turn your stuff in on time, I reserve the right to cancel this contract with no refund. Look, this isn't a power move. This isn't about ego. This isn't about controlling people. It's about providing clarity. If your client knows that they need to turn their stuff in on time, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to turn their stuff in on time. If you have it in writing, if it's a contract, look, I get it. I went through that phase too early on in my life. No, no, I don't need contracts. I'm just going to be word of mouth and I trust people. Mistake. Big mistake. This is business. Money is being changed between parties. You, you cannot imagine, if you're newer in business, you cannot imagine the lengths that people will go when money is on the line, okay? So stronger contracts that give you an out, that give you an out, and it's clearly defined, will prevent massive time vampire and scope creep issues. Uh, number three is vet people more before you take their money. So we have a very high offer, which is a results guaranteed offer. It's incredible. People love it. It's very, very expensive. You have to actually go through a vetting process when you try to buy that offer from us where my team interviews you. You have to fill out private information. I mean, it is, it is a process. Why? Because we have to put in so much time, energy, and effort into that particular offer that I do not have any time or interest in scope creepers, time vampires, or people who aren't qualified. It, our process for vetting is so intense that less than, I think it's less than half the people who apply after they've gone through pre-filtering are actually taken on as clients. That, that has been one of the smartest things I've ever done in my business because I have run that offer before without the pre-vetting process. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made. It was just a really bad idea. <laughs> it was a really, really bad idea. So I get it. We want money. We really, really do. And we sometimes are desperate for money. I get it. Business is hard. It's ups and downs. You got to pay people. You got to pay yourself, etc. As we're more expensive this month than we thought. I get all of that. What I'm saying is 
we implemented a vetting process, we still have more demand than we have uh, ability to fulfill. Part of that is because we created the demand artificially, and maybe in a different podcast we'll talk about artificial demand creation. And when I say artificial, I don't mean fake. We don't use fake scarcity. I mean we manually created the demand by bringing more people into our business than we could ever possibly serve, and therefore we do truly have limited spots, et cetera, et cetera. Again, we can do a different podcast on that. But the, the problem here is that I see too often sales teams and sales leaders and gurus teaching you, get the money now, get the money now, get the money, get, get the money now. And the problem is you take the money and now you find out for the first time who this person actually is after the money's changed hands. Now, look, if, if, if you're trying to find the guy who can teach you how to be a multi-billionaire, if you're looking for the guy who can help you to buy 20 Lambos, I'm not that guy. I am, you know, you may have heard me in other, other podcasts. I'm like three to $5 million a year company, nice 40 to 60% margins, easy to run, run it a couple of weeks, and that's fine. That's my kind of company. Okay, so take in stride everything I'm telling you. If you want to get to a billion dollars or whatever, or you want to be that eight-figure guru and all that kind of stuff, yeah, you're going to need to take everybody's money. The market isn't big enough for you to be that selective. If you're looking for more of a peaceful profits approach, I can tell you from personal experience, I make plenty of money, more than I could ever know what to do with, and we are very selective about who we work with. We have not experienced some kind of horrible thing when we decided to make our standards higher. What we did experience was less chaos, a smoother road, an easier path for not just fulfillment, but then for future sales and marketing. Last thing you can do for uh, time vampires and scope creepers is to change your offer to remove the ability to scope creep. So some of your offers are so big that there's a lot of room for scope creep. So for example, you have an offer that takes someone nine months to get through. That's a long time for people to forget what they paid for originally, for them to change their mind, for them to lose focus, for them to lose desire, for them to lose energy, for them to lose faith, for them to lose... So if you have a really big, long offer, there's going to be scope creep because people change a lot in nine months. There are very few people who can sustain focus for nine months. There's very few people who can even work on a single thing at all in any capacity for nine months, right? Uh, there's a, I mean, some people inside of a single day can't say focus on something for nine minutes, 10 minutes, et cetera. And that's not a dig on anyone. It's, you have to understand that you're working with human beings. Don't expect that your clients are superheroes. You're not a superhero. So how, how, how can you expect them to be superheroes? They're just human beings just like you are. They just happen to have money and a desire for what you can provide. That's the only thing that, that qualifies them uh, as, as a client. Again, they're not superheroes, right? So changing sometimes the nature of your offer. So maybe that nine-month thing, you only work with people three weeks at a time, right? So maybe, for example, you have this really big funnel thing that you do, and you do their ads, and you do the funnel, and you help them create offers or whatever it is. Maybe instead of trying to get one client to go through that whole process all at once, you say, okay, first you have to buy this offer. And this offer, we're going to spend the next three weeks working on your offer. Okay, boom, we got that done. Fantastic, you get to graduate to the next thing. New contract, new money, new terms, new scope for this little piece. Great, now you finish that. New contract, new terms, new scope for this piece. And on and on and et cetera, et cetera. There's a tendency, again, in the world of internet marketing to value stack. I love that. I think it's fantastic. Just be careful. Be careful that the offers you're creating aren't attracting opportunities for even the best clients to scope creep and waste time.
because they're human beings. Okay, so that's the first set of people to avoid, time vampires, scope creepers. They will absolutely cause chaos in your business. They, I would say don't even try to manage them. Try to filter them out in advance. That's, that's the best thing that you can do. There's not really a secret to managing scope creepers. All right, the next thing is the adjustment you can make is to create clarity around the easy wins. Or in other words, only take clients for which there is an easy win. I'm going to tell you a little secret here about all the gurus that you love. Uh, I've been able to work behind the scenes for many of them for more than a decade when I was early on in my career. Some of the biggest names in internet marketing, personal development, etc. The secret to their success stories is that they only work with people that they know they can get an easy win. So they will selectively, very purposefully, work with easy wins. Now ask yourself, when you're selling someone, how often do you ask... And how often are you filtering? And how often are you thinking about, is this person going to be easy for me to get a result for? Versus how often are you thinking about, hmm, they have money. I'm going to take it. Now be honest with yourself. Look, I've been through that process too. I'm not judging anybody. But you have to ask yourself, if you don't know what the sort of terms of easy win even is, that's a place to start, to start creating that clarity. If you don't know, for example what characteristics someone needs to have in order to be your dream client, how do you know if somebody is your dream client? And now it's not always obvious. So remember, you're in the help business, right? So if you're in the help business, then what that means is you are helping people who need help. And people who need help are not functioning at the same level as you for the thing you're trying to help them to do. So your dream client can't be somebody who's already achieved the thing you're trying to charge them to help them to achieve. So for example, if you help couples get pregnant, your dream client can't be somebody who's already pregnant, that that already happened. If you're trying to help somebody become a professional bodybuilder to become a professional bodybuilder, your dream, your dream client can't be somebody who already is a professional bodybuilder. Now, this might be a, a moment of realization for you because you may realize that you've actually been targeting the wrong people because your dream client is a bodybuilder. Your dream client is couples who just got pregnant and you have been running offers for people to become bodybuilders, you, you hate your clients, you don't like working with them, you love it when they become professionals, but then that's it, that's when you start to like them, well then you need to adjust your offer. You need to have an offer for the bodybuilders, you need to have an offer for the, the newly pregnant couples, you need to have an offer for the people that you want to actually help. Think about who your dream client actually is, get very, very specific, but don't forget that about the non-obvious things. So for example, I can't help people who don't know how to help people, right? The, if you know how to help people, I can help you make a million dollars. That's just a true fact statement. I've been doing it for more than a decade. But it's not something that people always think of when they think of dream client qualifications. For example, most people might say, I need them to have a business doing $10,000 a month. But what if they're doing $10,000 a month because they're just able to sell, but they're not actually delivering. I can't help people who are making $10,000 a month and don't actually know how to deliver good stuff to people. You could be making $100,000 a month. If you don't actually know how to get results for people, I can't help you. So think of the non-obvious things. I can't help people who aren't disciplined enough to get something finished. So when we're having our sales conversations, we look for that. What have you finished before? And then you can think of the signs that you would find in that sales conversation. So for example, we might ask in a sales conversation, tell us a little bit about some of your client success stories. And if they say, well, I've never had a client success story ever, say, have you ever helped somebody do something? 
you don't have to necessarily have had clients, but let's say you helped your sister achieve some result. Maybe she became a professional bodybuilder. Fantastic. We can help you. We're just looking for, do you have those, those traits? If you don't, there's nothing I can do for you. You have those elements in your business as well. I highly recommend that you take a look at them. Okay. The number two thing for creating clarity is to then build a filtering step. Now there's a couple ways to filter. Some of them is messaging, nurture content on the sales conversation. My favorite way is just to build a book and a book funnel. I am biased. I am. I do want you to become a client of mine and we will help you to build a book funnel and help you to create offers and help you to do all these things. So I am biased on this. But with that said, I like book funnels because they're so good at doing a lot of the pre-filtering. In fact, a lot of the pre-filtering can even be the book helps people to become your dream client. So you can have people who maybe weren't your dream client when they bought the book, but because of the ideas you put in the book, they achieve certain things. Those achievements now create opportunities for you to help them into the next steps. So for example, you could go write a book, how to become a professional bodybuilder, sell thousands and thousands of copies of that book. And then at the end of your book, say, once you become a professional bodybuilder, reach out to me. I can take you on to the next step. Book, how to get pregnant. People read it, they get pregnant. Hey, once you get pregnant, contact me. I, I can help you through the pregnancy. You see? So I like books for that reason. It's a very good way to filter and to avoid uh, having to work with people you don't necessarily want to work with. Okay, the next thing here is working with people that can't afford you. Now, yes, of course, there's money, and we'll talk about money, but there's other ways that people can't afford you that a lot of people don't think about. And you have to avoid them because if they can't afford you, they're not going to be able to be a good client. And remember, we need more than just money from clients. We need success stories, help us build our systems, relationships, etc. So yes, money, let's get this out of the way. Oftentimes, if you're finding that you're having troubles with people getting on the phone and they can't afford you financially, it's mostly a messaging issue. I'll give you an example. If you say, I help small businesses, right? I see this all the time. I help small businesses. Okay, wonderful. Then don't have an offer that requires a big business budget, right? I mean, it makes sense. I help single moms on welfare buy the house of their dreams. Now, if you can figure out how to do that, more power to you. And honestly, how can I help you? Because that would be amazing. However, let's just take an objective look at that situation. Single mothers who are on welfare, how much money do they actually have? If you are marketing to an audience that doesn't have money, don't be surprised when they show up to the phone call and they don't have money. It's that simple. And it's, there is no trick right? It's not, it's not that your sales script is bad. It's not that you are a bad marketer. It's just that the message, the sort of the, the light that you've put on the hill is not aimed at people who can actually afford you. And you may say, well, it's my passion to serve those people. And I would say there are some groups of people that are best served by not charging them anything. I volunteer at soup kitchens. It is my passion to help the homeless community because I myself was homeless. I'm not going to build a business around that. It's not because I think I'm a goody two-shoes. It's because I'm a practical business person. That may sound harsh and horrible, but think about it for a second. You can have anything you want within the natural laws of the universe. And one of the natural laws of the universe is if you are saying that you help people who don't have money, don't be surprised if they don't have money. 
It's a big shift that you can, and you can make that shift today. You can, you can change your marketing today. You're in complete control of it. It's one that I highly recommend. Take a long, hard look at. If you're working with clients, for example, I'll give you another example of, of a different way to afford you. They may, be afford, they may be able to afford your fee, but can they afford the implementation of what you do? For example, let's say that you are a Facebook ads agency or something like that and you sell Facebook ad services, and your services are $3,000 a month, you tell your client, they're like, that sounds fantastic, three grand a month, I'm ready to go. And then you say, hey, look, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna really start ramping up your ad spend. And they all of a sudden say, actually, um, I can't. And so what happens? Now you're in a situation where your fee is expensive. You're not able to get them results because they can't spend the money. And now all of a sudden, that $3,000 fee that sounded nice on paper, the client is saying, this is way too expensive. I'm not getting the results that I was hoping that I would get with you. And you're saying, well, but you don't have the budget to actually spend. And it's just this really vicious cycle, right? And this is the stuff that you want to avoid. This is where I say clients, clients dictate everything. You are only as good as your client allows you to be. There's an, so that's the money issue. Okay. We got that. Let's get it out of the way. It's a reality of business. You have to make some hard decisions. There's another way to think about people who can't afford you. That isn't about money at all. Okay? That isn't about money at all. Let me give you an example. If I write a piece of sales copy or I write a social media post and I give it to a client that has zero audience, that social media, that sales letter, it's worth nothing. It, it, you literally cannot value what I have given to them because they don't have the assets to turn that thing into something for themselves. Okay? This would be like if, for example, you are a nutritionist and you have discovered this incredible diet that is mostly based off of peanuts and you have a client who has a peanut allergy. It doesn't matter how good your peanut diet is. That client can't take what you've created and turn it into something for themselves. They can't afford, in a different meaning than just cash, they can't afford the actual valuation of what you do. My sales copy is worth at least $25,000 a sales page. That's probably on the low end because I'm not accounting for supply and demand and time and things like that. That's what I value it at. That's what I'm able to get consistently from clients. However, if a client can't turn that sales letter into $25,000 and one cent, it's worth nothing to them because it's not something that they can actually tangibly get a return on. So that is something that you have to think about. Am I actually working with people? And am I filtering for people? Am I thinking about who these people can be for the ability to turn what you can do into good work? And I'll give you an example as uh, from me being the bad client. So a while ago, we hired some optimization conversion specialists to hop on our funnels. And these were people who they charge a pretty penny and they had a lot of systems in place. And I'm sure that they do wonderful work. I'm sure that they do wonderful work. But for us, it was multiple months of paying a lot of money for nothing, zero results. The reason is because at the same time, we had hired a media buyer who wasn't running any traffic. Now, in that case, the media buyer really was a problem. But the media buyer plus us as a combination buyer of the conversion services, what do you think the conversion people were able to do? Not much. When you're not running a lot of traffic, you can't really do your conversion stuff, right? And so we were the bad client us with combined with the media buyer and the conversion people were in our eyes as the client, not really helping us. And so 
These kinds of relationships are very common. Now, as a side note, this is why I always recommend you hire one person at a time. We took a little bit of a gamble by hiring conversion and media at the, media buying at the same time. Never going to do it again. Total waste of time. Wasted like 80 days of uh, potential cash flow. So anyways, a little side note there for you. So something to think about. One last thought on this um, is, for example, uh, going to bring this back to our stuff. You shouldn't hire us if you don't have or want to have a central offer that charges good money, right? So if you only want to charge, let's say you have a, mem- a membership site and you only ever want to charge $20 a month for your membership site, I'm not that guy. Don't buy a book funnel from me, right? Don't do, uh, you know, probably shouldn't even do low ticket offers. There's other ways to grow memberships. Yeah, you have an offer. Yeah, you have all sorts of other things, but I know that that particular business model is not one where you're going to see as big of a result as if you have some kind of core offer in your business or that you want a core offer, right? So you could have a membership now and come to us and say, what can you guys do for us? And we'll ask, are you willing to create a core offer? If you're willing to create a core offer, we can help you all day long. Does that make sense? So not everything, and the reason I'm telling you that is, yes, obviously I want you to hire us, but the the other real reason why I'm saying that is because I want you to realize that sometimes people can't afford you because they don't have what is required for you to do your best work, but there's always the opportunity in your business to create a new offer of some kind that helps them to afford you. So for example, let's say that you are somebody who helps people very specifically get abs, okay? You are the abs person, abs, abs all day long. Yeah, you live in a beautiful, wonderful, sunny place, not like I do in the Pacific Northwest, where people actually show their apps, okay? <laughs> we, we bundle up and we never show anything. Uh, but let's say that you are that person and that's your specialty, but you're noticing you're getting a lot of people coming to you who are obese. Now, what's the realistic, uh, like how realistic is it for somebody to get ob- from obesity to abs in like 30 days or whatever, 60 days, whatever? It's not very realistic, right? Without doing some kind of extreme stuff. So what you might do is you might say, okay, look, I love that you want abs. I want to help you. But before we do that, in order for you to get into this abs program or to this abs training, I need you to be at this body percentage. I can help you get to that body fat percentage. It's something different. It's step one. We need to complete step one before we get into this other thing. But if you have that, then we can go into step one. We do that all the time in our business. There's a significant amount of money to be made in helping people to become your dream clients. Most often, here's a little tip. It's better if those people are customers rather than clients, right? Because they're not your dream client. So for people who aren't your dream client, make them customers. What do I mean? Don't sell them necessarily group coaching. Don't sell them necessarily done-for-you services. Sell them courses, books, things that they can take, lower ticket volume, cost, etc. They can then go make themselves into your dream client. And when they do, they will love you for it because results in advance and all that kind of good stuff. But I wouldn't spend a great deal of time or resource, like fulfillment resources, invested in creating uh, dream clients. Instead, leverage knowledge, IP, etc., cetera, uh, to turn people into your dream clients, okay? So that's it, my friends. These are uh, three of the people to avoid in your business. If you are really thinking about scaling and you're thinking about how to scale as quickly as possible, a big component of scale is it's, it's a lot less about what additional things do I need to do? And it's a lot more about taking a look at your business and asking, what are the hurdles? What are the roadblocks? What are the things that are making the road to scale rough? And then figuring out how to remove, eradicate, and smooth the road out. Okay, So that's 
the reason that we're sharing this podcast is because I want you to start thinking about scale in terms of how can I smooth my business out? Because you really, I mean, unless you love beating yourself up, it's much better to take the time. And it doesn't take a lot of time. We're talking weeks, maybe months here to implement systems and processes and things like that, like this, that smooth out the process of your business to reduce chaos caused by clients so that you can more easily scale more rapidly. So it's sort of the idea of, uh, I'm going to totally botch the quote here, but if I had an ax to chop down a tree and only seven hours to do it, I would spend five hours sharpening the ax, right? That's what we're talking about here. So just some thoughts for your thoughts. Hope you have a wonderful day. If you need any help from us, again, it's forward slash call. If you'd love for us to help you to build something that does a lot of the filtering and a lot of the stuff that we talked about here, especially turning those less qualifieds into dream prospects, let us know. Again, peacefulprofits.com forward slash call. You can also pick up any of our books at peacefulprofits.com. Hope you have a good one and we'll talk to you later.